the Super Bowl 55 matchup is set. We've got lots of NBA action to discuss and much more coming up next on the Takes on Tap show. I'ma knock it out the park, Louisville slugger Got a chick wearing crop top, nothing else under Drop a gear, speed and pass, finish first, burn rubber Get your girl off of me, bro, no I don't want her We do want to thank Desolate for the intro music, of course Louisville slugger, streaming on all platforms Spotify, Apple Music, all those things Don't forget to follow Desolate on Instagram at OfficialDesolate And check out his bio in our show notes Below. Welcome in, guys. This is another edition of the Takes on Tap show. I'm Scott Kirk with Brandon Daniels. Of course, all of this is presented by Belly Up Sports. Can't thank them enough for everything they've done for us. How was the weekend, Brandon? Pretty eventful weekend. Uh, we got in some more color cast uh, over the weekend with the NFC Championship. Uh, obviously, football was on. Lots of things to do, but we had a ton of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I got, I got a chance to catch up on The Bachelor with uh, Matt James and all those women. Let me <laughs> say, there's a lot of drama. This season on The Bachelor, <laughs> yeah. a lot of things going on. If you're keeping up with that, Sarah, quite the, uh, quite the potster over there in that uh, in that little house. Not yeah. gonna lie, it's not not too bad of a season so far. Yeah, really, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, not so bad, but you know what was bad? The Packers' performance against the Buccaneers. Let's talk. Uh, let's like recap this uh, championship weekend real quick, right? So the Packers and Buccaneers. We did that game on Colorcast. It was live. The Buccaneers. Beat the Packers. They are moving on to Super Bowl Fifty Five. What are your initial reactions post game? Here's here's the thing. I don't think the the Bucks play that good of a game, especially not on the offensive side of the ball. We saw that the entire game. Brady threw three picks all in the second half. Uh, good couple of drops by Chris Godwin, and I believe one by Mike Evans in the second quarter. Um, but that defense, that Bucks defense, was so good, especially in the front seven, applying pressure. Uh, and look, the Bucks were the better team on Sunday, and they proved their worth as they're going to Super Bowl 55. But the real question is, what happened to the Packers? Well, I mean, look, they didn't play a bad game, per se. I don't think they played a bad game whatsoever. But Scott, why the, the Packers held the Bucks to 19 first downs, and yet they didn't win the game. They also controlled time of possession. Why didn't they win the game, Scott? Well, let me say, there was a lot of... Um things I didn't like about this game from Green Bay. Uh, one thing that t- to note, it seemed like every single time in the red zone or on a third down, Aaron Rodgers would constantly target Devontae Adams. And that's no issue. He's a great receiver. The problem is that he was being double or even triple covered at times when you had Alan Lazard wide open for a touchdown at one point, And at one point, Valdez Scantling was open for a first down. And there was a very important part of this game. I believe it was in the fourth quarter. Aaron Rodgers had a chance to score a touchdown, okay? He had a chance to run to the end zone. Not saying he would have scored, but he would have picked up at least three or four yards to get closer to the end zone. And he elected to pass when he had a wide open lane to run. I don't know what he was thinking, but that was not the right decision. And not only that, Alan Lazard who I've been really high on, he dropped a two-point conversion that really hurt Green Bay as well. And to criticize Matt LaFleur for a minute, Tampa Bay's run defense was phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. And every time Green Bay would run up the middle, they would stuff him and hold him at the line of scrimmage. And every single time, on every single drive, Matt LaFleur would keep trying to stuff it up the middle. It wasn't working. It wasn't working with Aaron Jones. It wasn't working with Jamal Williams or even A.J. Dillon. Yeah, the guy with tree trunk legs. Wasn't working at all. There were two times in the game where Green Bay did a toss to the outside. Both times, those converted for first downs. I'm not a play caller whatsoever, but I would think if that worked twice, you would maybe would try it a third time, right? 
Yeah, I mean, look, one of the key losses for Green Bay, and the reason why I personally think that they had some some problems, especially in the run game, was the loss of Aaron Jones. He couldn't run the football. We saw him get injured after that fumble in the third quarter, uh, where he was absolutely rocked on the, on a on a pass on a pass catch there. Um, and they just couldn't get it going afterwards in the run game. Jamal Williams is cool. He, he's serviceable. A.J. Dillon, he's serviceable. But they're not Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is, is one of the better running backs in this league. Easily a top 10 running back. I'd make the claim that he's a top 5 running back. A lot of people would agree. So the fact that Aaron Jones wasn't on the field uh, for most of that second half in the run game was a key loss for them. Um, but that does not discount the fact that Matt LaFleur decided not to use the run game regardless of who's out there. If it's working, you keep going to it. Yes, the receipt, like, okay, Devontae Adams scored 18 touchdowns in the regular season. That was working. We saw that working. But there were also games where Aaron Jones had his day. I remember specifically against Carolina and against Jacksonville. I believe that was two weeks in a row. Aaron Jones had a field day. And he was running all over those teams. Yes, Tampa Bay is, one, is I think, the best run defense in the NFL. But... You, if the run game works, you got to use it. Because just because you're down, just because you can pick up more yards in the past, doesn't mean you don't use the run. I think that was a, a bad play call and a bad decision by Matt Lafleur to just abandon that completely, especially in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and not only that, but let's talk about the Buccaneers for a minute. They won the game, and Tom Brady had an excellent first half. There was a there was a play right at the end of the first half where he threw an absolute bomb to Speedy. Scotty Miller, as I like to call him, and Tom Brady looked really good in the first half. Second half, he kind of fell apart. He threw three interceptions, and on those three interceptions, they were bad interceptions. I'm talking the kind of interception where you roll out, you throw it off your back foot, and the ball was hanging in the air for about a minute like you're playing jackpot. It didn't look like Tom Brady at all. Yeah, Tom Brady, uh, I think a lot of the, the immediate reaction, wow, Tom Brady's going to his 10th Super Bowl. Look what he did against Green Bay. Tom Brady didn't win that game. No, he did not. I'm not discounting Tom Brady as a player. His career is incredible. I know on Colin Colin Coward's show uh, today, they had a stat go out that Tom Brady is not only the best quarterback of all time, but also the second best quarterback of all time if you split his career up into his uh, first half and his second half. That's how good Tom Brady is. But everyone has games where they're not good and they need their defense, and that was this past weekend. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's fair to say that Brady didn't, like, help them win the game. Cause oh, no, no, no. He, 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 definitely he definitely did. Helped. He deserves a little bit of credit, but not all the credit. Like, I can't discount Tom Brady at all. Defense did a good part, but can't deny that, you know, Tom Brady did have an excellent first half. Let's not take that away from him. I know a lot of people are trying to, but let's let's also give the credit where credit's due. He did help them win the game ultimately, but also he, he did kind of shoot himself in the foot at times. Ultimately, though, Buccaneers won, and they are the first— team to play a Super Bowl at their own stadium and again how amazing is it Tom Brady right now arguably no not even it's not arguable anymore he is the best quarterback of all time probably the best football player that's ever lived how funny is it that Tom Brady also gets to be the first quarterback to play a Super Bowl in his own home field Tom Brady he's done everything now. he's done everything and there's no question that this was going to happen eventually and it just makes sense that it was Tom Brady uh, I know they are letting fans into the stadium for the Super Bowl as well as um, a good amount of healthcare workers um, that got free tickets. So there is going to be a good crowd there, obviously not full capacity whatsoever, uh, but one of the biggest crowds, if not the biggest crowd that we've seen so far this season with the whole COVID-19 um, impacted uh, allowances for, for fans in the stadium. Yeah, well, what I'm excited to see is like, you know, we, we saw it in the World Series uh, back in October when the Dodgers won. <laughs> when the Dodgers won it all, I believe it was Game 7, right? Game 7. <laughs> Uh, when the Dodgers won it all, 
literally they celebrated like it was 2005 like <laughs> i didn't see a mask in sight oh, i no. i mean like i'm not like, i'm not going to talk about this but i'm just saying like it, it was very nice to see him celebrate as if uh, the world wasn't falling apart cuz you know what man you won the super bowl or you're going to win the super bowl you won the world series go ahead do what you want off season's coming anyways whatever you want it you know you paid the price of 16 games and playoff games to get here might as well just take off all your clothes and jump up and down. <laughs> it's a very good argument. Uh, I I am I'm very curious to see what uh, what the winning team will do in two weeks, but it's going to be a great game nonetheless. We got two amazing football teams that are going at it for uh, Super Bowl Fifty Five. Yeah, and let's not forget about the AFC side of things. Buffalo, you're not off the hook, buddy. You didn't play well at all. <laughs> you didn't show up to play as I thought you wouldn't, because right now in the AFC, it's the Chiefs and everyone else. What are your reactions on the on the Buffalo Kansas City game? I I remember three weeks ago. I, I think now it's it's about four. Uh, I said on the show that the Chief or the Packers and the Bills will be playing in the Super Bowl. I went zero for two. I'm gonna give myself a little bit of a pass because that was four weeks ago. My my initial reaction here for Buffalo is that they ran into the best team in football. When Kansas City plays from behind, they are better than they are when they're playing ahead, and that's a really good football team. You can't beat a team that plays for four quarters doesn't matter if they're down 20 up 20 up four down four doesn't matter Kansas City is always going to play their best and when you have Patrick Mahomes Tyreek Hill Travis Kelsey we can talk about the offense all day but the defense came to play against one of the hottest teams on offense in the NFL the Buffalo Bills so if I'm Buffalo you lost against Kansas City that's cool you made it to the AFC championship I don't hold it against you if you made it to the Super Bowl you're exceeding expectations I kind of I was kind of thinking about halfway through the season once Buffalo started to really pick up their groove that they were going to be one of the best teams in the AFC and I might have just picked them for the AFC championship back then um, so I don't think this is a lost season it was a bad game these games happen especially when you're playing against Kansas City. So I, it's a good season. I, I would hope to see him next year at least somewhere close. Yeah, it wasn't a lost season whatsoever at all. But um, right now, it's just that, like, I feel like any team in Buffalo's position would have been blown out that way, except for maybe the Colts, I feel like. I feel like the Colts... I like your optimism. <laughs> I, I do feel like the Colts, um, you know, were, were kind of dealt the shorthand by getting that... Uh, seventh seed and playing Buffalo because, you know, they they only lost by a field goal. They really could have had that game, and they really could have beaten the Ravens and all that stuff. It, it's all would have, could have, should have. But, again, right now it's Kansas City and everyone else because Buffalo is on the same level as Baltimore. They're on the same level as Cleveland, and I think they're on the same level as Indianapolis. And r- right now that those are the best teams in the AFC. And, again, a- until somebody puts up a great fight against Kansas City that's in the playoffs – Raiders, I know you beat them, but you didn't make the playoffs. Kansas City is the team to beat right now. We're going to give you our Super Bowl predictions next week. It's a little bit too early now. We're going to wait. We're going to let the hype build up, let some news build up and all that stuff. But before that, we're going to jump into some NBA action. That's Mm -hmm. right. Finally, time to talk some basketball now that football is kind of on the downrise. It's going to peak next week with the Super Bowl. But NBA action. All right. It's been a great season so far. Uh, then the other night, LeBron James dropped, what was it, 40-something points against the Cavs? 46 on the Cavs, and 21 in the fourth quarter, and 17 in the first, but 21 in the fourth quarter. It was an absolute killing, and can't forget about uh, Nikola Jokic, who was uh, on pace to become the first center to average a triple-double. What are your thoughts on Nikola Jokic so far this season? We've kind of seen this coming for a couple years now. Jokic is... He's really the modern big man, and he is transcending what we've ever seen at the center position. 
Uh, I believe he's averaging 25, 14, and 9 assists per game, so he's an assist shy just about of getting to that triple-double average. But Jokic, man, he is so, so good. There's not many guys in the league that can do what he can. And he's also developing a, uh, an outside shot. He does take a couple threes a game. So he is, he's, one of the, he's one of the best all-around players in the league, if not the best all-around player in the league, besides for maybe LeBron James. And so the question for me, at least for his team, is can everyone outside of him stick with him here? Because Jamal Murray is really good. We've seen that. We saw it in the bubble. He's really good. He's a great scoring guard, but he's also really inconsistent. And that's the big problem for Denver, which is what we saw in the bubble. They just couldn't produce consistent results. They had trouble getting past Utah, and it was it was kind of a mess. Speaking of the playoffs, interesting uh, tidbit. If you didn't know already, some people do, but for the people that don't, think about this. If the season ended today, the Knicks and Cavs would both be in the playoffs. <laughs> well, would you look at that? The Cleveland Cavaliers and New York Knicks would be in the playoffs if the season ended today. I did not misspeak there. The Cavaliers are, of course, they're led by Colin Sexton. He's averaging 24.8 per game, and he had 42 points against, ne- uh, against Brooklyn the other night, right, with their big three, right? Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, and he just made Kyrie his his little puppet that night. <laughs> um, so right now Cleveland is 8-9, and nine, and that's without Kevin Love, who's set to be coming back soon. Also, Andre Drummond for the Cavaliers ha- has also been great, averaging 18 points a game and 15 rebounds. But on the other side, the New York Knicks, they're led by Julius Randle right now, who's averaging 23 points a game, 6 assists, and 11 rebounds. Are these teams legit playoff teams or early season flukes? Okay, so one of these teams is a playoff contender. I'm not going to call them real playoff teams, and I'm not going to call them anywhere close to finals contenders because both these teams, obviously, we know are not going to be that. One of these teams are going to be in the playoffs, and one of them isn't. The team that isn't going to play, be in the playoffs, I'll start with them, is the New York Knicks. Right now, they sit ninth in the East at 8-11. and 11. They're four and a half games back of first. It's a very tight race so far. We just started the season, so obviously there's not a lot of distance between first and last. So there's about six games in the East. The, the very interesting, interesting thing about New York is they are right now the best team defensively in basketball, but they're also the worst team offensively in basketball. So you average that out, they're 15th in the league in terms of points, points per game versus points allowed. The question for me is the NBA runs through offense. Can the Knicks pick up their offensive game? And I say no. They're the best defensive team in basketball through 16 games. And their lane stoppers in on the interior are solid. Mitchell Robinson, very solid. Doesn't average 10 points a game. He gets boards. He gets blocks. Nerlens Noel plays a few minutes a game. He He's just there as a body. He's there as a big guy to just stuff the lane. So I can understand why defensively they're the best in the league. However, the NBA runs through offense. And this season, they've scored over 110 points only four times, which is not which is fine. You don't have to score over 110 points to win a basketball game if you can play good defense. The problem for me is they've been held under 100 points nine different times in 16 games. For them, it's uh, 19. They play 19 games, but uh, a lot of the teams are playing 16. Through 19 games, nine of them, they've been held under 100. That, for me, is alarming. I don't know what you think, but that's pretty alarming. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and my question comes with this right now, right, for, for, for both these teams. Is this just like some like one-year wonder thing? Or is this like, hey, man, we're legit right now, and we're only going to get better? Or is this a, a case scenario where every other team is just underperforming, like Miami, right, like other teams in the East, 
and it just so happens that the Knicks and Cavaliers are just taking advantage of it. Like, are they good enough to keep this going for years to come? Yeah, and that's what we've been saying about New York for a long time. They just need to scrap everything they're doing and just get younger and rebuild. They, they, they got Julius Randle a couple years ago, and they drafted R.J. Barrett a couple years ago, and people thought, hey, maybe this team could, could sneak into the playoffs. Is that really good enough? Do you really just want to sneak into the playoffs every for, for a couple years and then slip back into, into the 10th or 11th seed in the East? Is that good enough? I say no. So if you see a, a clear ceiling on your team, why are you just trying to hit that ceiling? Which right now for the Knicks is the 8th spot in the, in the playoffs. Yeah, well, what I want to see with New York right now, I want to see R.J. Barrett take the next step, right? Can can he be the leader uh, on this team, right? Uh, obviously, right, when he, he's taken a big step from his rookie year, but right now when I think New York and, you know, of course, the statistical leader on, on that team, it's Julius Randle. I want to see R.J. Barrett take those next steps, get over the 20 points per game hump, all that jazz, right? Because, you know, he was he was drafted... Uh, so high for a reason. So do you think R.J. Barrett can take that step next year, or, or, or can it be this year? I think R.J. Barrett, if he's going to be able to take any step at all, they got to move off of Julius Randle. Because for me, at least, Julius Randle is a type of guy that can win you games, but is not going to get you anywhere else. He's not a number one scorer. If, if, you, if Julius Randle is your number one scorer on your team, and he's your, the leader of your team statistically, you're not going to go anywhere. Because Julius Randle, no offense to me, or to him, I don't see him as a, as a number one guy. Who, when you have a number one guy, you need him to be a star, right? LeBron, You don't need a LeBron James, right? When you have a Nikola Jokic or a Jamal Murray or you have a Jason Tatum, a guy that's an all-star or at least a guy that you know can put up consistent results, but Julius Randle can't do that. So for me, move off of Julius Randle and then RJ Barrett can take that step. Because he can. I believe he can. He's a really, he's, he's for me, he's, a, he's like a better version of Marcus Smart. He's a defensive guy that can also score the basketball. Marcus Smart's very inconsistent on offense. R.J. Barrett can put up numbers pretty consistently, which is why I think he's just the better version of Marcus Smart. However, if if R.J. Barrett is really going to take that step, they got to move up with Julius Randle. So if you're just chasing the eight seed, there's no point. Yeah, I agree. And R.J. Barrett's got so much potential still. You know, he's got those long arms, lanky body, a lot, lots of like in New York. And who I'm liking right now in Cleveland, to circle back to them, Colin Sexton. I mean... <laughs> I mean, I, I saw him in Alabama a couple years ago, of course, before he entered the draft. I'm watching this guy in college. I'm like, wow, since when did Alabama have a basketball star? I know. Besides, you know, Auburn, of course. right? I mean, Colin Sexton, this guy looks good. He looks really good, and he's finally stepping into his own. Yeah, Colin Sexton, he's a scorer, right? He doesn't do much else. That's okay. He's not a, he's not a big guard. He can't rebound the basketball. He's only averaging four assists a game, so... That's totally fine. If you can score the basketball, that's really all that counts. And he's a feisty defender. That's what I like. You don't have to be a great defender. Just at least look like you're trying. He's very feisty on defense, and he gets the job done. He's a serviceable enough defender that that's okay. And look, I, I for me, and we're going to circle back to if they're, if they're an early season fluke or not, I think Cleveland makes the playoffs as maybe a 7 or an 8 seed. But this is the same, this is the same thing that we're talking about in New York. Okay, Cleveland, yeah, you can make the playoffs. They have some backcourt scoring issues. Outside of Colin Sexton, they really got nothing. So, yeah, okay, Colin Sexton's your guy in the backcourt. That's cool. Kevin Love's going to help with scoring as well. They're right now 29th in uh, points per game, uh, just right above the Knicks. They're averaging 104.5. Um, so, yeah, they'll, they'll be in the playoffs, but is that good enough? We'll see if it's good enough. You know, the season's still underway. Lots of basketball to go. But before we jump on to our next topic, I do want to give a shout-out to our sponsors... 
Invader Coffee is a small batch air roasted coffee company that is veteran owned and operated out of Austin, Texas. All of their beans are fair trade and sourced from all over the world. Did you know that only 1% of the world's coffee is air roasted? That makes this a very unique process. Due to the roasting method, their coffee has a low acidity and is very smooth. Invader Coffee takes pride in having the best tasting coffee, shipping fast and fresh every day. And guess what? All of their coffee is available for subscription. Just select the blend you want and how often you want it, and that's it. That's all you have to do. Each subscription carries a 5% discount and free shipping. That's right, free shipping, saving you time and money. Because Invader Coffee knows it'll be the best coffee you've ever tasted, they stand behind their 100% money-back guarantee. That's right. If you don't like it, you get your money back 100% guaranteed, no questions asked. Use our code on the website, BELLYUP, at checkout for 15% off of your order at InvaderCoffee.com. Once again, our code at checkout is BELLYUP at checkout for 15% off your order at Invader Coffee. I love Invader Coffee. It's the reason why I'm so energized, and you'll love it too. Once again, our code at checkout is BELLYUP for 15% off of your order at InvaderCoffee.com. Alrighty, but enough of Invader Coffee. Let's go talk about another form of heat, and that's in Miami. What's the problem? Why are they so cold right now, Brandon? They are bad. Right now they're 6-10, 13 in the Eastern Conference. Um, Scott, I want you to take a guess here. Uh, the Heat, uh, one of the be- best defensive teams in, in basketball. Where do you think they're ranking this year? Well, last year, of course, they had that miracle run in the bubble. They, their defense was really good, especially with Jimmy Butler and all those guys, especially Bam and Abayo. I'm going to guess they're at least top 10. Scott, they are 20th in defense this year. 20th. 20th in defense, and not only that, they're 24th in offense, and so they they are playing like a lottery pick, right? A lottery pick team right now. Um, they've lost six of their last eight games. The only wins they've had was one against Toronto, who's struggling mightily as well, and one against Detroit, which isn't a huge surprise. They only have one scorer on their team over 20 points, and that's Bam Adebayo. Bam leads their team in points, rebounds, assists, and blocks. So he's doing it all. Right he's now. doing it all, and that's a problem based on the fact that they have Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic. Their team is deep. Their team is loaded, and none of these guys are producing. Jimmy Butler is only averaging sixteen points a game, and that's fine. But if you're not winning basketball games, there's something that needs to change here. Well, you gotta wonder if if the fact that the Heat had the shortest off season in NBA history contribute to this. But on the other end, you look at the Lakers, and they're doing pretty well exactly. right now, and they also had the same amount of uh, of a shortened offseason. So is it maybe the Lakers have better conditioning? Maybe the Heat are just heartbroken from that finals loss? It could be a variety of different things. And right now, I'm looking at the stats right here. Their, their offense is ranked 24th in the league right now. It's not looking good. Not at all. It's, it's shocking almost because the Miami Heat – where it was the team that we thought could really stick around. There were some questions about every team that was in contention in the East in the bubble. We were talking about Boston. We'll get into Boston in a little bit. And we saw their problems, their inconsistencies on offense, and, and how they'll be able to solve their bench problem. Uh, for Milwaukee, do they have a reliable second star? For Philadelphia, what's going on there? And all of those teams have figured it out. Milwaukee's 
Milwaukee, Boston, and Philadelphia are all in the top four in the Eastern Conference right now, and, and Miami is way down there at 13th. So something has to change. I don't know what it is. Switching around the lineup, to me, doesn't seem like it's going to work. I honestly think before the trade deadline, you got to think about moving a player, whoever it is. Yeah, because if you're not going to get together, you might as well just click a button and try to you know, make an upgrade or something like that. And there's that. no hard feelings, not at all. I mean, they made it to the finals. It's a great team. They have a lot of chemistry. Something is up, and I don't know what it is. And They're just not looking like the same basketball team at all. Yeah, maybe they're gassed. Could be a variety of different things, but very interesting to note how cold it is in Miami right now for the Heat. But... To another team in the East. Seems to be all East right now. Uh, Jason Tatum, he returned to the Celtics after being in quarantine for like three weeks. So Jason Tatum just came back against Chicago a couple days ago. 25 points, the 119-103 win. Pretty solid for for a start there. Um, I want to ask you this question because Boston's kind of the team that we've been talking about for a while. They've made the Eastern Conference Final three out of the last four years. Do you think they're going to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals? Yes, I, I do think Boston will get back to the Eastern Conference Finals because right now I can't really think of a team that's going to get there right now. The Cavaliers, if they make the playoffs, I don't think they're going far right now. The Heat, if they keep that, that same pace going, I don't know if they'll make it far at all or even if they'll reach the playoffs right now. Boston, year after year, they're consistent. And, consist- uh, and consistency always leads to either the same thing or getting over the hump. And I think this might be the year that Boston gets over the hump. Yeah, right now currently they're 10-6. They're second in the Eastern Conference, tied with uh, Milwaukee, but they beat Milwaukee in opening night, so they do have the advantage there. They're a game back from first. And not only that, that's with, like, you know, a very, very thin roster right now. Yeah, and that's the big problem that I have with Boston. And as much as I love this team, it's been my team for a while, um, and I, I would love to see them in the Eastern Conference Finals again, the big problem is depth. And in years past, it hasn't been that much of a problem because there hasn't been a lot of teams that can really compete with Boston, besides from Milwaukee and Philadelphia on a good day. I mean, Philadelphia just got swept by Boston last year in the bubble. So I don't really... In the, in the past, we, haven't, we didn't really see the same problem. It was either LeBron's Cavs or Milwaukee in the last couple of years. Um, and last year, Miami did beat them in the final, in the ECF there. But now the, the, they've got a lot more teams to worry about. Philadelphia is playing out of their minds. They, they they finally started to gel this whole Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons thing. Joel Embiid's playing like a, a dark horse MVP candidate right now. Milwaukee is solid as ever, and of course Brooklyn, who is in, you know in the Eastern Conference, can't forget about that trio there of Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. Um, so there's just a lot more teams to to worry about now, and and. Boston has so much less room to to, to wiggle here, uh, especially with their ben- bench depth. And the the only real guy on their bench that's been able to put together consistent outings is the rookie Peyton Pritchard. Yeah, and and for me, like when it comes to the Celtics, one major injury, and I feel like that's it for him because when when your team is already so thin, and you know, let's say that you know a serious injury happens, I don't know if they if, I don't know if they'll be able to recover from that. Yeah, not at all. I mean, granted, this this. Top two duo right now, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. They're playing out of their minds. So, so good Incredible. right now. Incredible. I mean, Jalen Brown's averaging 27 points. Jason Tatum just a shade over, under 27 as well. I mean, these these two guys are nuts. And, and even without Tatum, Jalen Brown was putting up 40, 30 points a game. We know these guys can do it. They're both all-stars. Now, the problem is, once again, the depth. Campbell Walker's not playing great. He's playing fine. He just got back from knee injury, so that's understandable. Now, he's still not playing great. Marcus Smart is the same as he's always been. He's just been that, that spark plug that comes in um, on the offensive side of the ball when things are struggling. The big problem for me is 
their rebounding. And that's always been an issue, but they've seemed to just kind of shove it off because they can score the basketball. They don't have a player that, that there's only one player that, that has over 6.8 rebounds a game, and that's Tristan Thompson. And Tristan Thompson isn't an offensive threat whatsoever. And you don't need every guy to be an offensive threat, but Tristan Thompson only averages eight rebounds a game. They have a revolving door at center. Daniel Tice, he's not even really a center. He's more of a power forward. Tristan Thompson's a power forward. They don't have a true center that can get boards and get blocks. So that's my big question. If they can, Because here's the thing. You're matching up against Giannis, who can play all five positions on the basketball court. You're matching up against Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Ben Simmons, who's 6'10". And there's a lot of matchup issues here. For Brooklyn, I think if they're if they're matching up against Brooklyn, I think it, it'll be okay. You can put more yeah, smart on Kyrie or James Harden. It matches up better. Yeah, because Brooklyn doesn't really have that big bruiser. It's really just a bunch of scorers, right, between KD, James Harden, and Kyrie. They don't have that big bruiser like a Giannis or like a Brook Lopez in Milwaukee. Yeah, I, I mean, KD, 6'11". People say seven. He's slender. Yeah, he's, he's slender. He's a and scorer. Jason Tatum and, can... and there's nothing wrong exactly. with that. It's just that, you know, sometimes you do need that yin yang of the big bruiser and the scorer. And right now, Brooklyn seems to be all scorers. You know, and they just had that before they traded for James Harden. They had Jared Allen, who is was just there to stuff at the rim, and they traded him away um, to get James Harden. So if, if I'm Boston, I, I'm very confident that you can match up scoring wise against Brooklyn. And you can match up defensively against Brooklyn. The, the big problem for me, if they're getting back to the Eastern Conference, can they match up at the center position with Philadelphia or Milwaukee? Speaking of Brooklyn, though, there was a rumor circulating around the web on Twitter that there's a possibility that Kevin Love gets bought out of his contract in Cleveland and maybe goes to Brooklyn. How high of a possibility do you see that, you know, being? You know, the thing about Kevin Love is he's, he's, he, I mean, he's towards the last few years of his career. He's in Cleveland. We were just talking about it before. Yeah, they'll make the eighth seed, but that's about it. Um, and for if I'm Kevin Love, a guy that I know, you know, I can compete with for a championship, I don't want to be in Cleveland to do that because it's not going to happen. So the hypothetical scenario of Kevin Love getting bought out and going to Brooklyn is interesting. Would he want to do it? Sure. But do I think it's going to happen? I don't know because I think the front office in Cleveland really wants to make the playoffs. And I, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe they do actually think they have a good team. Maybe they're trying to be petty because, hey, look at look at us. We don't need LeBron. I feel like that's still in their heads. I'm honestly considering that right now. Of course. And so from that standpoint, I would say that they don't buy him out at all. I think they keep him. Well, how about that? If, if it does happen and he goes to Brooklyn, uh, there, there could be a possibility that for the second time, Kevin Love gets, ter- gets carried to a title. <laughs> Once again, and I, hey, that's not the worst thing in the world when you have a ring on your finger. No, not at all. Not at all. All right, so finally, on our last stretch of uh, NBA news for today, I think it's interesting to note, right? The James Harden trade really set the NBA on fire. But what big trade is next, right? Who will it be? Carl Anthony Towns or Bradley Beal? Who do you think is traded next? I think Bradley Beal is the next guy on the block. There's a lot of questions there. Washington sucks this year, so it's very possible. Yeah, Bradley Beal has been playing out of his mind, however, uh, even though the Wizards are just 3-10, and 10, right? Bradley Beal right now is leading the league with 35 points per game. That's right. Bradley Beal, not LeBron James, not James Harden, not Kevin Durant, not Steph Curry, not, not Luka, but Bradley Beal. 35 points a game right now. He, he is the league leader in points scored. So... Between these three teams, what what is the most realistic landing spot for Bradley Beal? The Dallas Mavericks, the Denver Nuggets, or the Miami Heat? This is kind of tough. Um, I'm going to have to go with the Miami Heat. And people may say, oh, they're already loaded. They're not going to trade in any of their guys. It's a, it's a big possibility. 
from what we were just talking about before with Miami, they're six and ten. This team just made the finals. There's obviously something wrong there. I think for the Wizards, you just got to go into a full rebuild. You would like to keep Bradley Beal around, but it's obvious that whoever you try to put around him just doesn't work. Russell Westbrook is 0.3 assists or rebounds shy, rather, of averaging a triple double. He's averaging 18, 10, and 9.7. So Russell Westbrook puts up numbers. So why isn't this working? If it's not Russell Westbrook, it's Bradley Beal. So if I'm the Wizards, let's just go through a full restart. Let's just say, you know what? We had the good years with John Wall and Bradley Beal. This whole Bradley Beal by himself thing, trying to bring in stars, isn't working. And maybe that seems too crazy to think about because, oh, Bradley Beal leads the league in points. You know, he's the Wizards guy. He's a franchise player. He's a franchise player for sure. But think about what Miami could give in return. Duncan Robinson, you know, a guy like maybe, maybe, Jimmy Butler, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I say they keep Jimmy Butler. Duncan Robinson is definitely available. But not Goran only that, Dragic. Goran Dragic, I was just about to say, Goran Dragic would be a great guy to have. And maybe you could squeeze together a playoff run here. But to be honest, the Wizards just need to reset. The Heat have assets that, that they can give because they haven't re- they haven't traded for anyone. They picked up Jimmy Butler in free agency. Everyone else, they drafted all of their key guys. So they have picks to be able to give Washington. I think it'll be a good deal for both sides. I think the Heat with Bradley Beal, that's the scoring kick they need. We just talked about it earlier. Bam Adebayo is the only guy averaging over 20. Jimmy Butler's only averaging 16. Yeah, there's a lot of guys here, but Bradley Beal can score the basketball, and I think that'll definitely be a good asset for both sides. My issue with Miami here is I, I think there's too many players on the roster that are just labeled untouchable because they're so young. You're not going to get rid of Bam Adebayo. You're not going to get rid of Tyler Hero. He's your youngster. He's your first-round star, right? Jimmy Butler is the heart and soul of that team. The only two guys I realistically see getting moved off of is Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson. And even those two guys are important to that team. The only issue here is that Goran Dragic and Duncan Robinson alone is not enough for a Bradley Beal package. Something else has got to give. Yeah, and there's got to be a lot of picks involved, of course, which leads me into my next team, which is Denver. Denver has a lot of assets on the board, and they don't have a great team around Jamal Murray and, and Nikola Jokic. They're, they're not a deep team at all. I think Bradley Beal would be great to have. The thing is, I think they're going to have to trade Jamal Murray to do it. And now, we just talked about earlier, I was talking about Jamal Murray's inconsistencies. Maybe it's time you move off him. I don't think you move off of Jamal Murray. What he did... In, in the playoffs, in the bubble, was nothing short of spectacular. You know, you have so much to be released, and he's still really young. Bradley Beal's a little older. I, I just don't see that one working out. Um, I, I think you trade a lot of picks. You give him Gary Harris, uh, Paul Millsap, move off of him. He's, he's, he's old. But think about, it here, think about it here, though. Bradley Beal's a shooting guard. He's not a point guard. Jamal Murray's primary position is a shooting guard. He can play the point guard position, but... If I'm Denver, you're this close. You're so close to getting over the hump to finally being one of those best teams in the Western Conference. I think Bradley Beal could be that that hump that this this is the guy that they've been waiting for. Jamal Murray's really good. Don't of course he is, right? We 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 just talked about against Utah, he scored 52 points. He battled Donovan Mitchell to the end. But the question that I have here is that enough? And we talked about it about some teams. Just because you make it to one thing and and you make it to one point in the season and you have these guys around you who you're loyal to and everything like that, that just might not be enough. And for me, I don't think it's enough for Denver. I think they're a Bradley Beal piece away 
from being the second best team in the Western Conference. If I'm Denver, I'm not touching Jamal Murray, but I will give him a package of you know picks, uh, Gary Harris, and I would move Michael Porter for 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 Bradley Bill. I really you would that. move Michael Porter Jr. I think he has more potential than Jamal Murray, which is why I think they should move off of Murray. Keep keep Michael Porter Jr. You have a lineup of Porter at the four, Jokic at the five, and Beal at the two. And you can still keep Gary Harris off the bench to give you a scoring kick. Well, I mean, th- these are all good points, but let's not forget about Dallas. Do they even have a say in this in this debate, per se, between you know the, the Nuggets and the Heat? Does Dallas even have enough to give up in the first place? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. They need a point guard, and yes, Luke can play the point guard position, but he's six seven. He's a shooting guard. Bradley Beal is a shooting guard. They don't have the pieces to be able to give that up because they just you know they traded for Porzingis a couple years ago uh, from New York. So I I don't see that working out at all. Yes, they're struggling, and yes, that would be a great kick for them to have Bradley Beal, but I don't see that working out whatsoever. I think the team that they have right now just needs some some veteran depth. And that's going to be all. But I don't think trading for Bradley Beal would really help them out too much. Well, yeah. So it's a lot of interesting landing spots for Bradley Beal if he is to be moved up, moved off of. Trading deadline is still just a little bit away. But I think it's important to note so far in this NBA season, it's kind of been disappointing. A you know, bit, yeah. Uh, the shortened off season really had a bigger effect than most people thought. More than I thought. Um, I can't really think of another reason why so many teams are struggling. The Mavericks. The Heat. So many others are just not playing up to par, and not gonna lie to you, at least from my perspective, the games just aren't as entertaining without fans being there. Even the crowd noise isn't there that that they, that they would pump in from the bubble. It's not the same. You know what I think it is? I kind of just realized that I was watching a Celtics game about a week ago, and what they're doing is they're covering up all of the all the seats, and it's just like black tarps or green tarps, whatever it is. And it, it just looks super empty. It looks exactly like the bubble. But the thing about the bubble is we had no other choice, really. And, and that bubble environment was so different. Smaller. It was smaller, and it felt a little bit more confined. So it, it just almost felt like a scrimmage with some of the best players in the world. And I was totally cool with that. It wasn't the best product in the world. Of course, fans in the stadium is going to be much better than no fans. But this, this what, what they're doing, and I can compare it to the NFL because the NFL, they keep their stadium open. Obviously, they have the advantage of being outside, and it's just it looks brighter. But still, this fan noise seems super weird. It's dark, like if if you very look, dark. If you look past the sidelines where the benches are, it's just dark. It depressing. Just, it's depressing, and and it's not. The, the the announcers don't. It just seems so far away. Everything seems so far away in comparison to the NFL. It just seemed like you were actually there, and they just were pumping crowd noise. It felt not too much different from what it normally was. But the NBA just seems, like you said, depressing. Very depressing. But you know what's not depressing? This makes me happy every week. Instagram questions. Oh, yes. I love my Instagram questions. Of course, you know where to follow us. Go ahead on Instagram, at Official Takes on Tap. Our Twitter and TikTok handles are at Takes on Tap Show. Go ahead, follow us there. We post TikToks every now and then. You know, we have stories, funny videos, memes, all that stuff on our TikTok. Go ahead and follow us. You'll even catch some of our takes on there too and of course twitter we're up to date with everything polls news all of that jazz and of course to get your question featured on instagram don't hesitate to dm us or post us tag us whatever you want to do even our personals dm us we'll try to get your question on the show all right so to lead off our first question it's going to come from jack and he's asking us what are your thoughts on the super bowl halftime show of course this year it's going to be the weekend performing the halftime show and to be honest 
I don't know much about the halftime show. I, I would like to see if it's going to be a virtual halftime show, in-person halftime show. But before we know what kind of halftime show is it, are you excited for the weekend to be the uh, performer this year? I'm, I'm kind of excited. I remember you were telling me this a few days ago. I, I want You want to bring back the days of rock bands at the Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah, and now they're just doing all this pop stuff, and in the past they've done it the Katy Perry thing and all that. Yeah, with that shark. Yeah, the shark and the lion, like it was nuts. But it just wasn't my thing, and I think you were telling me the weekend is you know kind of halfway in between, right? It's it's kind of pop, but it, it kind of feels like it's good enough vibe that it, it kind of feels like a rock band, even though it's really not. Um, but so you know, I'm kind of excited. I don't know exactly what they're gonna do, and that's my question. Is it going to be a virtual thing? I'm not sure. So I'm looking here. It does look that the weekend, uh, it's going to look like the weekend will be there uh, in in person to perform at halftime. Okay. So uh, it's not going to be virtual. He's going to be there and they're going to try to use as much as they can to make it as fun as they can. But interesting to note, like, yeah, I I, I do agree. They, They should bring back some rock bands, but also a person who has been snubbed year after year. For the halftime show that I think needs a chance, Taylor Swift. Oh, I mean, let's get Taylor on Swift now. on the halftime show. I, I think it's a great idea. It, it's fantastic. I it, mean, right, right. It's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. There's nothing better than Taylor Swift at a Super Bowl halftime. Like that just sounds perfect. Sounds great. I mean, she's got so many hits. Blank Space, uh, Dear John. I mean, how how do the players cry on the silence? How about Shake It Off? You know, what if you know the Buccaneers are having a rough first half? Taylor Swift sings Shake It Off, and the Buccaneers come back. It's a great idea for me. Yeah, you know what? Every every guy, they're like, I don't listen to, to Taylor Swift. I don't like Taylor Swift. Everyone loves Taylor Swift. Everyone loves Taylor you Swift. You always listen to Taylor Swift wherever you are. If you're in your room, you're in your car, you always have that. You always have it ready. I, I think another candidate for uh, the Takes on Tap halftime show, how about the Takes on Tap show for the halftime show? We, are we, are we going to sing? Um, Are we singing karaoke? Oh, we're gonna do oh oh okay. You know what? Karaoke or we 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 could always bring back Justin Timberlake. I I wouldn't mind seeing him. Okay, Justin Timberlake. Come on, it's it. Come come on, come on. Yeah, but but overall, I I am excited for this halftime show um, because again, like they're saying that they're gonna use the COVID nineteen capacity um, to his advantage. Uh, There's gonna be twenty two thousand fans there. I'm reading this from eOnline.com, and apparently the weekend is expected to take a dig at the Grammys for snubbing oh, him. That's very interesting. So, I mean, overall, it should be exciting, though. should be way better than the one we got last year. Oh, God, that was with, a mess. Uh, with Shakira and all those guys you in know, Miami. The, the only thing that was worse than that was the All-Star Game performance, the National Anthem by Fergie a couple years ago. Pretty bad. Do you remember that? That was horrendous. It was so bad, it was good, though. Yeah, honestly, it's still a meme, so that's okay. Of course. Well, I mean, yeah, so Super Bowl halftime should be fun. Uh, but moving on to our next question... It is coming from Zach, and he is asking us, where does Matthew Stafford ultimately end up? Of course, it broke uh, last Saturday that the Lions and Matthew Stafford have mutually agreed to part ways. We just don't know where the destination is for Matthew Stafford. So, I'll take this one first. I know you're looking at me with those eyes. (laughs) I know your answer already, but I think the best fit for Matthew Stafford is San Francisco. The 49ers. Let me tell you why. Kyle Shanahan is a great coach. Fantastic. When he was at Matt Ryan in Atlanta, their offense was electric. 
You know, Matt Ryan's got a big arm. He's accurate with the football. He's not like a Jimmy Garoppolo where he's just more of a game manager-esque type of guy. Stafford can really sling it, and he puts up numbers, man. You put Stafford in San Francisco, that's a different ball game right there than what they had with Jimmy Garoppolo. You have the young receiver, Brandon Ayuk, who had a fantastic rookie campaign. San Francisco always has a solid running game, and their offensive line is pretty good. Mike McGlinchey on the left side, a lot of good pieces as well. Uh, and Their defense is electric as well, way better than what Stafford has in Detroit. I think that's the perfect spot for him because Shanahan in San Francisco has never had a guy like Stafford. He had to deal with C.J. Beathard or Nick oh. Mullins or even Jimmy Garoppolo. Stafford is a different level than all those guys. Yeah, I definitely agree. San Francisco is is a fine choice for Matthew Stafford. But my biases are going to take over here as I know that the best landing spot for Matthew Stafford is the Indianapolis Colts. I think every free agent quarterback should consider going to Indianapolis, and that's not even my biases anymore because they legitimately are a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl team. So if I'm any of those guys and Indianapolis is remotely interested in bringing them in to be a starting quarterback, take a good look at that one because, like you said earlier, they almost beat beat Buffalo in the the wild card game. Who knows what they would have done after, but they are such a well-rounded football team, and Matthew Stafford is the one missing piece there. I, I He's such an upgrade over Phillip Rivers. I can't even begin to... If Matthew Stafford goes to the Colts, I'm buying a jersey, and I know that's going to happen. But real talk for a second. I'm going yep. to put my fan, fan, fan moments aside here. Yeah, don't forget to quad pay that jersey. Yeah, I'm going to have to. Yeah, yeah. But a fan <laughs> moments aside, Matthew Stafford to the Colts is kind of the perfect choice because he can stretch the ball down the field, and the Colts do have vertical wide receivers, T.Y. Hilton specifically. And Michael Pittman Jr. has been doing a great job in the second half of the year as well. Um, but if the, he doesn't want to do that, he can he can run the spread offense that Frank Reich loves so much. Jack Doyle, Trey Burton, Mo Ali Cox at tight end, three headed monster. And also Michael Pittman and T. Way Hilton can can get the job done there. Naheem Hines out of the backfield would be perfect. That running game with Jonathan Taylor is so good, and that offensive line is a top five unit in football. And on the defensive side of the football, I mean, first half of the year they were the best pass defense in the league. That definitely slipped, but they're still I would put them in the top half of defenses in the league. So if I'm Matthew Stafford, gotta think about it. I think both those teams are tremendous fits for Stafford. Can't lie there. I, I think both those teams are, are, are a great fit for Matthew Stafford. Either or, wherever he ends up, I think with Matthew Stafford on the roster, it's more or less a guaranteed playoff spot for those teams. Yeah, 100%. If they grab Stafford. 100%. Our final question of the week is, one of my favorites of all time? I think this is a fantastic question, and this is going to be a very good discussion. I wouldn't say debate. It's not going to be who's right, who's wrong, but more of a discussion, you know. And, you know, feel free to comment below if you're watching on YouTube or wherever. DM us, whatever you want to do. But think about this for a second. This question comes from Ben. Which is more impressive, LeBron being the 10 NBA Finals or Tom Brady being in 10 Super Bowls? Wow. That's probably the best, one of the best questions we've ever had. For reference, LeBron is 4-6 and six in the Finals. Right now, Tom Brady is 6-3 and three in the Super Bowl. That record is subject to change uh, in two weeks from now. But what's more impressive, 10 Finals or 10 Super Bowls. This is like comparing apples and oranges. It's like, it's so difficult because you can make the claim LeBron plays more games to get to the finals, so that's more difficult. But there's less games in an NFL season, so everyone counts there's more pressure for Brady. That's that's literally the only difference. Brady has a better record in Super Bowls because his teams have been better. LeBron's carried teams to the finals that don't deserve to be there. Um, or he's been overmatched in 
almost all of them. I believe he was, he's been the underdog, I think, six or seven times um, out of those 10 finals, whereas Brady, in the beginning of his career, I mean, wasn't really the favorite in those in those first couple. But as that as this went on, as we got to his later uh, Super Bowl appearances, he was considered the favorite, especially those two Giants games that didn't go his way. So I would give the edge to LeBron, but the I honestly have no idea. Scott, I want to know what, you, what you're going to say here because honestly, I have no idea. LeBron has a worse record, but I, dude, I have no idea. Yeah, well, as Drake said, I'm going to flip the switch. I'm going to go Tom Brady. Wow. I think that is more impressive to me. LeBron James, 10 finals, tremendous feat. But, but, Tom Brady uh, went to nine Super Bowls with one team. LeBron jumped around the league multiple times. Now, the fact that Tom Brady is going to, to his 10th Super Bowl with the Buccaneers is amazing. Mind you, Tom Brady's 43 years old. LeBron's 37. And that's fantastic. But Brady is 43 playing football, a more physically demanding game than basketball. And because there's a shorter season, I think it is more difficult because it's not a best of seven series in the playoffs. It's one game and you're done. You go home. You don't have as many chances. You don't have seven games to tool around with. Not only that, but uh, we're going to flip back to what we mentioned earlier uh, by Colin Cowherd earlier in the show. You take Tom Brady in the first half of his career and Tom Brady in the second half of his career, he's the two best quarterbacks of all time, right? Just those two eras. Uh, he's been dominant. And, yeah, I am going to bring up the record here. Tom Brady's over 500 in the Super Bowl. LeBron James is 4-6 and six in the finals. Um, and not only that, the Super Bowl itself is a way bigger spectacle and aura than the NBA Finals will ever be yeah, because it's true. one game. It's not a best-of-seven series. It's one spectacular showcase game and you know that to me is more impressive than than 10 nba finals but not to take any credit away from lebron james reddit users don't dox me don't kill me lebron james what he's done going to 10 finals is absolutely amazing i just think that tom brady going to 10 super bowls is more amazing because i believe he's one of the only players to Go to 10 Super Bowls, if not the only one. I don't have that stat in front of me, but he has to be one of the only guys to make it to 10 Super Bowls. Double-digit numbers. Like, he's been to a Super Bowl more times than the Dallas Cowboys have. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. Reddit users, please don't dox me. I beg you. Please. See, I, I think the only comparison, I've been thinking about it as you were talking. I would probably give the edge to Brady as well. Because if we do the whole split thing with Brady... His career has been so consistent. He's just consistently dominated, whereas LeBron, the first seven, eight years of his career, made it to one or two finals. I believe there's only one. True, but I, I, I don't have the stats here. I'm not, I'm not a mathematician at all, but I'm sure if you did the same thing with LeBron James, it would pretty much add up as well. Of course, yeah. I mean, if we're just talking about finals Super Bowl appearances in the first half of his career, the, the edge definitely goes to Brady. LeBron had some pretty terrible Cleveland teams, so that's where I give him a pass. But the fact that... Brady has done it. God, this is really tough. I've been thinking about this the whole time. But Brady, the fact that he's done it with one team, the fact that he's been able to bring these teams consistently back in the playoff hunt into the Super Bowl, he's he's never had a losing season. Yeah, he's it, never had a losing season. Never, never. That's insane. And and not only that, it, to, to me, it just comes down to the fact that the Super Bowl is just bigger overall. And I'm sorry, NBA fans, it, it, it sucks. I'm a baseball fan, and I know this as well. The World Series, the NBA Finals, hockey fans, Stanley Cup Final, it, it will never be as big as the Super Bowl. It won't be. It, again, it's because the Super Bowl is one game. 
those rest of uh, uh, of the championship games for the for the other leagues, they're best of seven series. So the urgency is there, but it's not as much because there could be a four game sweep. Urgency isn't there. Urgency is only there in a game six or game seven elimination game. Super Bowl is one day of celebration. I will say though, to finish this off, LeBron. If you want to compare Brady's 10 Super Bowls to LeBron's 10 finals appearances, LeBron's had the better moments. This is very subjective, but LeBron in 2016, what he did in Game 7 against the Golden State Warriors, that 73-9 and team, that we've never seen that before. Never. What he did, the block on Iguodala, he had over 40 points that game, iced the game with the free throws to get him up uh, by two possessions. I, I, have, I don't really have a comparison for Brady, and that's where I would give the edge to LeBron. But once again, Brady has the actual success here. Yeah, and, and let me just ding Tom Brady for a sec. His last Super Bowl ring was a not a very pretty one. It was a 13-3 contest. And, uh, you know, he didn't look great in that one. But we're not going to talk about that at all. Let's just say both of the guys are impressive. All right? Yeah, but course. I'm going to give Brady the edge only because the Super Bowl is bigger. But, I mean, really, nobody's wrong here. Yeah, I mean, these are two of the greatest athletes to have ever played. In terms of success, they're probably one and two. So, look, this is... We're never going to see this again. The fact that we... <laughs> this is just so crazy to think about. The fact that we had Tom Brady and LeBron James playing the same era in two different sports is absolutely nuts. It, it, it It's so, so crazy. And it's, Tiger Woods. Can't forget about Tiger Woods. And, and Tiger... Like, Tiger Woods... Look, in, in the old era... All we really had was Michael Jordan. There is really no football comparison to like to Tom Brady because uh, Tom Brady's the only Tom Brady's the only guy that that's ever yeah, done this. Dan thing. Marino was around. How many Super Bowls? Joe Montana was around. He was very successful. You know, Steve Young was around. A lot of guys. Troy Aikman was around. But none of, them are, none of them can't are Tom, give me that. None of them are Tom Brady. None of them are Tom. Brady. I, I would say Joe Montana is pretty close to Tom Brady. Troy Aikman in Dallas is pretty close to Tom Brady. Dan Marino, although he didn't win any Super Bowls, he was. Very, very talented. But none of them have that that success that Tom Brady had. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. There's a lot of superstars back then. Look, I'm, they're I'm all not great. They're all that. great. All right, they're not all great. They're all amazing. They're better than us. All right. Before we segue into our final segment of the day, I do have an announcement for everyone that Brandon and I have been waiting on. Mm-hmm. Starting next week, our podcast will now drop on Tuesdays instead of Thursdays. So you know, NFL is going to be over with by then, right? We have the Super Bowl. That's the last game. Uh, it's it's, it's going to be a lot better for everyone, including the viewers. Uh, our time will be more dedicated to the show. So, quick reminder, starting next week, the episodes will drop on Tuesdays. And, again, if you're up to date with our social medias, uh, we, we will r- remind you of that yeah, as well. Putting that all there. No, no worries. But, Scott, I talked a lot of basketball today, and it is time to get into your sport of choice, which is baseball. So what we're going to do here, um, because the MLB, season, the MLB season is coming up in a couple of months, we're going to go through week by week, every single show, we're going to go through your MLB power rankings. So yes. we're going to go through the bottom five teams in baseball right now, Scott. Yeah, so a new segment here has been started. Uh, it's uh, Scott's preseason MLB power rankings. Again, go. five teams every week from here on out, starting with number 30, and that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Mm-hmm. And they are dead last right here uh, in the league right now. And the question with the Pirates, how low can a team's payroll go? Uh, let, you want to take a guess on how their payroll looks for 2021? Uh, I don't know, like maybe $65 million? 
uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates payroll for 2021 is listed at $47 million. $47 million. Jeez, for reference, rough. there are baseball players making that money per year. That's incredible. <laughs> yes. So a, the entire roster of Pittsburgh is is, uh, is is you know spread out among $47 million. That is very, very low. That's dead last in the league. Over the offseason near Christmas, they traded their best player offensively, uh, Josh Bell, to the Nationals. And last year, they finished with the worst record in the league at 19-41 in that 60-game shortened season. Right? They also had the worst offense in the league uh, with just a little over three and a half runs per game. What else is there to know? You know, On the bright side of things, their farm system isn't horrible. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but really there's no solidified star on that team right now. They just traded Jameson Tyon to the Yankees, and that was their best pitcher on the roster, mm-hmm. arguably. So not really much going for Pittsburgh right now. But the player to watch out for, Cabrian Hayes. Cabrian Hayes uh, led all of uh, MLB rookies with uh, a war score of 1.9 in 2020. Uh, he only played in 24 games, and uh, he tallied 95 plate appearances. That should make him one of the NL Rookie of the Year favorites going into next year. And again, he's a bright spot on that dark abyss that is the Pittsburgh Pirates. Not looking to go over there in Pittsburgh very bleak, but uh, let's go to number 29. Hopefully it's a little bit of a better situation. It is the Texas Rangers. So the Rangers uh, scored an American League worst 224 runs in their first year at Globe Life Field. And I think it's time to blow everything up. Full-scale rebuild. And that's right, Joey Gallo, you're not safe either. I think they should move off of him, rebuild the whole team. Right? They lost Corey Kluber, their best pitcher, to free agency. They also lost Lance Lynn in the... Uh, in free agency to the White Sox. So two of their best pitchers are gone. But luckily for Texas, their farm system is ranked in the top 15. They've got numerous prospects that could be working their way up, but I, I don't think it'll be a playoff season for the Rangers next year. At number 28, the Boston Red Sox. That's right, the 2018 World Champion Red Sox are 28th on my list. And yes, Alex Cora is back as their manager this year after getting suspended last year for his role in the Houston cheating scandal. Uh, But my issue with the Red Sox is that they gave away their whole farm system to win that title in 2018, and now it has them nowhere. They moved off Mookie Betts last year. I didn't love the move because he was the second-best player in baseball. And uh, right now they've got to pay Chris Sale a lot and a lot of money. Um, they do have a couple bright spots on the team, though. Alex Verdugo, the, the the outfielder, I do like a lot. And they got some young guys coming up, like Jeter Downs, who could be a nice fit at, uh, at shortstop or second base, depending on how they work it. But I think the best thing for Boston to do would be to trade Chris Sale, get as many prospects as you can, and that way you have depth to build on. And again, I didn't like how they moved off of Dave Dombrowski as well. Didn't love that move. So again... The Red Sox are 28th on the list. At 27, I have the Colorado Rockies on my list. Very interesting pick there. They had a good start to the season, but uh, Scott, why why is they so low on your list? Yeah, so digest this for a minute. Uh, last year in 2020, during that whole 60-game shortened season, it's going to be mentioned a lot in my list, um, they had a 74.7% chance of qualifying for the playoffs as of August 8th after jumping out to an 11-3 record. Then... They proceeded to go 15-31 and 31 the rest of the way. And during that stretch, Nolan Arenado, their star third baseman, fell well below his standards at the plate. And the whole team just fell apart. And I think it was just gut-wrenching. It hurt so much. And I don't know if Colorado could recover from it. They had a very quiet free agency span. 
and uh, their farm system is not doing too well at all. Uh, they're ranked 29th in the league overall. So for a team that doesn't even have stars and can't even compete with the Dodgers or even the Padres at this point, times in Colorado don't look good at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a far cry from what we saw at the beginning of the season, and, and it, it can just go back to, okay, is the team an early season fluke? Are they for real? And it's, it's clear now that the Rockies, are they're going to have some work to do if they're going to get back to where they were at the beginning of the 2020 season. Yeah, and not only that, but it, um, they couldn't even trade Nolan Arenado for what they wanted because he, he struggled so much in the back half of 2020. So they couldn't even move Arenado to get more prospects to get better in the long run. So now he's staying, and he's owed over $131 million on the table right now. Not looking good for uh, for Colorado whatsoever. So my final team uh, to cap us off here, because we're doing five per week, at 26, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Yes, the Arizona Diamondbacks are 26th on my list, and three-fifths of their rotation last year, Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, and, and uh, Luke Weaver, they all posted ERAs above 648. Uh, if you don't know, an ERA stands for an earned run average, right? So that's how many runs you allow per game as a pitcher. So all all those guys averaged about six and a half runs uh, per game uh, in 28 starts. Uh, so not great at all. If you, if you can't pitch well, you're not going to play well. Pitching is key in this league, and so is your bullpen. And neither of those two things were very good at all. They lost Archie Bradley uh, to free agency as well, so he's gone. And, of course, in last year's deadline, they traded their star, Starling Marte, to the Marlins. Thank you very much for that one, Arizona. I really appreciate that one. Good um, they've got to get all that stuff together to win games in 2021. Their offense was abysmal as well. Cattell Marte, their shortstop, was an all-star caliber last year. But then again, a lot of guys weren't as well. So the whole team just has, has to get its act together. If they don't solve something this year or get above 70 wins, um, it, it could be time to just destroy everything in Arizona. Although... Light at the end of the tunnel, they do have a lot of hope as far as prospects right now. They have three really good outfielders that could really um, be their core to work around for the next couple years. Uh, Christian Robinson is, a, is one to name right there. He is in the top 100 prospects list. But another guy to keep your eye on next year, a first baseman. He's a little bit of a bigger guy, big burly lumberjack guy I like to compare him to. His name is Seth Beer. And with a name like that, he's got to hit home runs, and he does. He's a first baseman. Uh, he can play outfield if you need him to. He's a lefty power hitter. Seth Beer can really pop off in 2021. But for now, those are uh, 30 through 26. Next week, we'll do 25 through 20, right, and so on. But thank you for tuning into the Takes on Tap show. Of course, all of this was, present, was presented by Belly Up Sports. I'm Scott Kirk with... Brandon Daniels. And stay tuned for next week's episode on Tuesday. There we go. Thank you. And, of course, a big shout-out to Desolate for the outro music. We love Desolate. He does so much for us. You know, fire track, Louisville Slug. you got to love it. Oh, it's a great, great track. We had it in our intro a couple weeks ago as well. I mean, it's highly requested by uh, by a lot of the people that we know do that do listen to the show. So. Of course, of course. And, as always, this was the Takes on Tap show. We will see you on Tuesday. I'ma knock it out the park, Louisville Slugger Got a chick wearing crop top, nothing else under Drop a gear, speed and pass, finish first, burn rubber Get your girl off of me, bro, no I don't wanna